Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Monocule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. As always, I'm your host, Roman Tagal. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking about the pharma and biotech supply chain with Daniel Hogan, external manufacturing team lead for the Americas at Bayer Pharmaceuticals. What an absolute treat to have someone in such a prestigious position within a big pharmaceutical company involved in the day-to-day of outsourcing on the podcast. Dan and I discuss loads of topics relating to managing a huge portfolio of CMOs across different uh, product groups and uh, you know, in, he also talks about the kind of due diligence involved in CMO selection and and some of the nightmare stories that he's had <laughs> with dealing with overpromising by some of the vendors in the space. Dan has a really interesting background, and as such, he is able to provide some insight into some of the differences and similarities between sourcing at a big pharma company and why that's different and how that's different when he was in a small biotech. He also interestingly talks about the availability and expansion of vendors in the space and how that's caused kind of more problem in one sense because there's so much choice in the market for big pharma companies, but also that there are more novel uh, CDMOs and CMOs and CPOs on the market that can offer specific capabilities. And you know, he offers some fantastic advice around, uh, you know, kind of timeless advice for vendors that are listening to the show about how you can kind of build a relationship with Big Pharma and also kind of increase your revenue by quite simply keeping your promises. What I particularly like about Dan is, you know, sometimes in the sector, we have a perception of what people in Big Pharma or like, you know, and, and how they behave and all that type of thing. Dan is such a like, a likable, down to earth, authentic nice guy and it comes across in the way he talks about issues and he goes into granular detail it's a really great insight from someone who genuinely knows what he's doing and has built a fantastic career just a bit of background on dan you know he has almost 20 years experience and you know his technical knowledge encompasses diverse pharmaceutical dosage forms uh, with experience in manufacturing and formulating a wide range of products oral, topical, and parenteral administration. Uh, He thrives on contributing to complex products with the potential to cure people of disease, enabling them to live and lead healthy and better lives. He leads a team of experienced engineers and is responsible for the technology interface between Bayer's kind of R&D team and the CMO kind of side of the business. And he manages uh, the manufacturing of, as I mentioned, the diverse dosage across kind of a, a multi-million dollar product portfolio, while also kind of providing guidance around process optimization, tech transfer, and just generally supporting the R&D team uh, in terms of validation of processes at commercial scale through the CMO partners. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. It's really fantastic to have someone like Dan on the show. Uh, thanks as always for listening. And you know, if you get the chance, please give us a positive rating on your app platform of choice and uh, please pass the podcast to a colleague or an industry contact enjoy today's show hey dan welcome to the show 
Hey, my man, thanks, thanks for having me. It's uh, yeah, it's an absolute pleasure having you here, and um, you know, I'm, we're so appreciative of your time, given your role at Bear, and uh, so I'm going to fire a million questions at you <laughs> in the next thirty minutes, Dan. So just to start off with, Dan, it'd be fantastic to give our listener a bit of an overview of you and your background, and then your kind of career today and how you ended up at at Bear. Sure. No. Uh, so. I have um I have about 20 years experience in the pharmaceutical industry. I started my career actually as a formulator, formulating parenteral drugs and then moved on to solid dosage uh after that, which I found a lot easier and a lot easier to formulate than parenteral drugs. But then uh they Stay, stayed in R&D for about eight, nine years and actually got tired of seeing everything that I worked on fail in clinical trials. <laughs> uh, and I always wanted, I, my, the reason I got into business is my dad, my dad was a pharmacist and I wanted to someday work on a, work on a drug that actually he got to dispense so I moved over to tech transfer validation scale up, figuring that it would be a better chance to get actually get something on the market, and did that. Started doing that for for about four or five years, and then moved into the external manufacturing space, uh, and have been in external manufacturing for about eight years now working for various companies, uh, Novartis Consumer Health, GSK Consumer, uh, small biotech companies uh, out in California, and now today at Bear, Bear Consumer Health. Very good. And I, I, when I did some research on your uh, kind of background, you actually started life in the in the industry at Catalent, I believe, which I imagine was a much smaller organization back in the early 2000s than what it is today. It's just interesting to see that background. Yeah, so I mean, just to show my age, when I when I joined Catalent, it wasn't called Catalent; it was actually called Cardinal Health. <laughs> uh, and about two years into my stay there, Cardinal Health spun us off to and sold us to Blackstone, and. Uh, but, it became Catlin. Uh, Catlin was re- it was kind of in the middle of my career, but it was very interesting. And in it was my it was my first time working for a CMO and get getting involved not only in the science aspect of it, but also the business aspect of it. Uh, and it's also where I really started my tech transfer career. I if you could say. Uh, helping helping uh, scale up and transfer products for Catlin's proprietary oral solid dosage uh, for Mizitis, which is a lyophilized tablet. Uh, and and it was it was my first experience dealing in, in dealing with multiple smaller companies from a customer base from a from a customer basis as actually and not as a client uh you have to 
that's where I learned that, I mean, not only is the science important, but it's how you communicate the science to your customer and how you communicate what's going on with their project. Because some of these customers only have one or two molecules in their pipeline and, and these are their babies. The entire company is dependent on what happens with these molecules. So it's it was an interesting experience to say the least. Yeah, I can I can imagine, and I, I you know and I was going to ask you there about the you know, what you learned from a CMO perspective that's probably helped you in, in what you do today. But before I do that, actually, you mentioned your dad was a pharmacist, and and that kind of was a, an inspiration. Did you did you ever get to the point where your dad dispensed whatever the products that you were involved with, or did that did that never happen? So unfortunately, it never happened. It came. Okay. Came close a couple of times, but unfortunately, it never happened. <laughs> no worries. That, that would have been a nice way of uh, kind of. I'm sure that would have been a great moment for you. For you yes, yes. No, it, 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 it was it was a dream, but uh, yes, it, uh, almost. Nevertheless, it led you down this career path, which seems like it's been a really uh, fruitful and successful career. And you know, you know, I feel very fortunate having you on the show because for a lot of our listeners, you know. They might have dealt with a big pharma company and external sourcing within a big pharma company, but I'd, it'd be great if you can, you know, un- open the lid, right, and and take us into the boardroom of what it what it's what a sourcing team looks like in a big pharmaceutical company, and you know, um, you know the the you know what that looks like from a, a sourcing perspective, and you know, how, you know how many partners you guys typically use, and yeah, it'd be great to just. You know, for you to wax lyrical about kind of how you go about doing your your kind of day to day job. Sure. So uh, I would I would say sourcing for a big farmer isn't much different than a small farmer or a startup farmer, except uh, in big farmer you you typically not wear multiple hats. In in a small farmer company you you typically wear multiple hats at one time the the your the QA person might also be, be the business manager might also be the technical person and a small farmer and large farmer you ha- each role is assigned to a different person and each role is assigned to someone who's been doing that role for many years so you're not going to when when we go out to do a due diligence, you're not. We will talk to, uh, I guess the CMO's technical per. I would talk to the the CMO's technical person. The QA per person would talk to the QA person for the CMO, so on and so on. So it would. It's. It's a dedicated team when 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 you're looking at CMOs, but like I said, the it's not much different than a smaller CM than a smaller biotech or or a pharma company, except there's more people. We're we're not wearing multiple multiple hats. So my 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 focus would be purely on the technical and their technical capacity and their commercial capacity. Can can they can the CMO meet what the, what they're saying? Uh, as as that's that could be good and bad. It's I mean, and the and then 
after the due diligence, of course, we all gather back and compare notes and and push it up through the chain to to see to see if the business wants this product and if they if the price and the quality and and the capacity meets our expectations. Mm-hmm. And what, before you get to that point as well, tell us about because if you know, you got you specifically look after OSD. Uh, if I understood correctly, Dan, at the minute, OSD tech products. And if you guys are looking for a CMO partner, where do, where do you start with that? Do you go to your existing suppliers or do you, you know, I, I suspect there'll be times where you're out and about looking for new ones as well. And yeah, it'd be great to just get your kind of insight into what, what that looks like and, you know, how, how sophisticated or actually how basic it is. <laughs> sure. No. Uh, so ac- actually my, my team, deals with a variety of dosage forms. Uh, we we deal with OSDs, but we also do deal with aerosols, topicals, uh, almost a- liquids, almost any type of, of dosage form out there my, my team handles. And we we do, when looking for a new CMO, or when we, it's more... We don't look for new CMOs. We look for CMOs where we could place products at. Um, so, if we have an OSD product, or if uh, so, we'll take an OSD product that, for example, because that's eighty percent of the business, say, and eighty percent of the CMOs out there do do OSDs. Uh, so we would, we would, we would. Get get the from R and D we would get what we what this product needs. So, what what type of product is it? Is it is it a potent compound? Is is the any safety standards that that need to be uh, that the CMO needs? Any air handling capacity stuff like that? And we would also talk about the process. We would talk about okay, are, are we doing a wet granulation? Are we doing direct compression? Is it a dry blend? Is it a bilayer, trilayer, a capsule? So then most, like, most likely we would take a look at our uh, existing portfolio of CMOs and where, where we are, who, who we use. And we, pro- we, we, pro- we probably put out our RFQ or RFI uh, about this product and, and compare them. I'd say 80% of the time, we're going to probably be, be be using someone in our existing portfolio just because onboarding a new CMO is, it can be time consuming and depends on how fast you want to get this product to the market. Each CMO is is different uh i mean some some cmos are just purely packaging cmos that that we that we contract out for for packaging or or uh tertiary packaging packaging or secondary packaging and some are as as we say soup to nuts where we where we bring in the 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 raw api and they convert it to the final dosage form and pack it pack it out for us too so it it depends on the uh, product and it depends on the project on how 
how of how busy we are at any one time. That's it's fascinating. It's a, it's a lot to manage, and it sounds like you've got a great team to, to help you manage that many. And no, they my my team is very good. They they're very good at what they do. That's great. And in you, you talked before about you know if you say you put out an RFI to your existing portfolio, and even if you go beyond that as well, what what typically are the main decision criteria that you look at that that determines whether you go with CMO A, CMO B, you know, I think obviously you mentioned capacity and capability and I suppose the more, I'm guessing an element is the, is the more rational nuts and bolts. Can you fulfill technically what we want you to do? Is there anything beyond that that you look for or that often determines why you choose one over the other? Price is always going to be an issue. Not to say that we always go for the lowest price, but if you have two equal competitors, price is going to be an issue. Also, experience. Experience using past CMOs. Uh, have have we had good experience using one particular CMO over another CMO? Can the CMO from past experience meet what they're saying? Is the CMO the type to overpromise and underdeliver or do they come in with solid with a with a solid foot in solid they give you solid expectations and they deliver what they promise so a lot has to do with past experience and also quality i mean we we quality is number one in this industry as as you know if a a bad quality product will ruin your reputation in two minutes and it'll take forever to build back so I think those are the three things that we really look at when when choosing a CMO. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's really fascinating. Thank you for sh- for sharing. And prior to pressing record, you and I were chatting a little bit about. You mentioned something Dan about the uh, just the amount of CMOs in the market today versus ten years ago. So I'm I'm just curious to get your perspective on how things have changed over the last ten to fifteen years, both in terms of the amount of CMOs and CDMOs out there, but also, you know, has, has your experience of dealing with them evolved as well? Or is it, is it the same now as it was 15 years ago or whatever? Uh, yeah, so sure. So I, going back to my days at Catlin, there, there, there might've been maybe only a handful of full service CDMOs, CMOs, CMOs out there. And today, I mean, that, that, that number has is probably in in the hundreds right now. Uh, it's the same the same the same with special with specialty uh, products or, or special specialty applications. It's the the number of CMOs. I mean, that used to do say liabilization were only a handful 10, 15 years ago. Now almost everyone is is you 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 could find a a a a live cmo just by doing a google search on the internet uh and also as more and more of the big pharma companies tend to get out of of manufacturing and into more development the cmos are taking the taking taking that place for for these big pharma companies um and and you have plus you have the 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 giants like like a thermo fisher or or a Calend just 
pouring money and resources back into the business, opening up sites, improving sites. It's it's real. It's really uh, the it's really changed for in the last fifteen years. For for the better, in your sense, or do you guys get it better? You know, based on what you've said there, I presume you have a great. Uh... You have a greater array of options than you probably did, and you, you know, if there, if these CMOs are also making investments in the facility, hopefully, to your point around experience and quality, you not only got a greater choice, but you're getting a better outcome. Is that a fair assumption? Or? I would, I would say it's a fair assumption, but it, it also, it also makes it a little bit harder since there's more of a selection, there's more, there's more of a variety of CMOs, so. And once once you, so you have to be care, really careful in choosing your CMOs to make sure that it's the right CMO. Because once you choose your CMO and you transfer that product there, it's ten times harder to exit a site than to than to create start a site, start working on a site, uh, especially especially with uh, RX products where you have to get regular, you have to get. If you transfer a product to a new site, you have to get the pre-approval inspection. You have to, you have to get the FDA approval, stuff like that. So, I mean, it, it does make it harder in that there's so many CMOs to choose from that you really have to do your due diligence in choosing the to make sure that you choose the right CMO. That's a that's a really fantastic insight there around kind of the ten times harder to exit than to than to choose it. But also, I presume it just you know, if I at a human level, the pressure on you and your team to not rush right and be very very um, sure about the selection right because if you get it wrong, to, it's going to be an issue. <laughs> to to be to be to be sure about the selection and to be sure about transferring actually transferring the product i mean you have to, you have to make sure when you're transferring the product that the right materials the right equipment is in place and ready to ready to be used because the last thing you want to do is not be to make a commitment to the market and not be able to meet that commitment you're listening to molecule to market where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. You mentioned some of the big guys, the thermo and the kind of almost the one-stop shop type CDMO options in the market. And what I see actually in the market is you kind of have those types of companies and then you have kind of more specialist players that have specific capabilities or handle specific dosage forms or have some kind of technology play. How do you how do you navigate that where you've got say a bigger CDMO that can do everything or claims that they can do everything and then a more kind of specialist player that can maybe not do it that doesn't have the breadth but is particularly strong in in an area do you have to navigate that quite a lot where you're kind of deciding between that kind of capability specialism versus almost the size of the organization and the stability of that organization as well uh so Yes, that, so that's that's a very good question. Uh, we do have even even now there are a number of products in our portfolio and and past portfolios that are niche niche prior products and uh, not 
not everyone, even the even the larger CMOs, the one like you said, the one stop shops, uh, don't have the capability to manufacture some, uh, a niche product. So it's it's important when you're when you have one of those products that you find you find you find someone that can actually meet your expectations and live up to your expectations. Um, I I want to say I want to say uh, ground setting level level setting is is very important in this business. A lot of a lot of uh, a lot of CMOs, as, as some small, some some large, will say, "Oh, we we could we could we could definitely meet your timeline. You, we it, we have the equipment in place, we have the people in place, and then when you sign the contract, right away there's a delay." Um, <laughs> so not, it's not a good way to start a relationship. <laughs> exactly, and but on the other hand, I also think that. Uh, the customer also has to have a set of at least realistic expectations. We you can't you can't go into, for example, a, a CMO with uh, just a new, a new molecule and say I want this on the market in eighteen months. How and you have to help me make it get, make make it to market. Uh, I mean, so I think it involves both sides having reasonable and level setting expectations for for not only the product but for but for the relationship too it's important if if that cmo wants to get more business it's it's important that we had we as a customer ha, has has a good experience it's, it's interesting because you said deliver a promise earlier on and i wrote that down because i thought it's a it's such a simple thing isn't it to actually just deliver on promises and actually for you you know, if if a CDMO does what it says it's going to do, and not only manages your expectations but exceeds them, then it's going to be a win-win for them because presumably you're going to send them more work. You know, back to your eighty percent of the business will probably go to the existing portfolio. You're going to go to the ones that have demonstrated uh, a good track record. I suspect. Exactly. I mean, the 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 ones that you build up a good relationship with. That actually get the product out on time, that uh, are good both technically and on the supply chain side. Those are those are the CMOs that you want to keep doing business with. But I mean, you you almost started answering my next question actually, Dan, which was like you know describe a great vendor relationship that you have. Obviously, you don't have to give a specific name, but just describe what that looks like, what the communication's like. When you obviously have also just mentioned the technical and supply chain aspects are, are taken care of. Um, you, you, and, and then on the flip side, it would be great to hear what, <laughs> the exact opposite. <laughs> what a bad relationship has looked like for you guys as well. Just like anything else, uh a good relationship just doesn't happen overnight and it, it takes work from both the CMO and the customer. Uh, a good, a good, a good relationship with the CMO will be one that you're meeting with regularly that they they're keeping you informed on, on your project, your product, and you're not chasing them for answers. 
also the 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 quality of their work is good um and they 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 have they t- they also push back when when the customer has unreasonable expectations uh a bad relationship is something that you're chasing the CMO down for answers. You're always trying to find out what's what's going on what with your project that uh, then you're not having regular meetings with them, and uh, they don't live up to your expect what they promised either from a supply chain side or from a technical side. Uh, uh, so I mean it's what I've I've seen I've seen CMO say oh sure sure we could we could transfer that that capsule product to to our to our facility no problem it's it's it, it won't be a problem it, it'll be it'll be a smooth transfer transfer and when you get there they you find out that they haven't used their encapsulator in five years. <laughs> So, so, so that that's that's what a bad relationship looks like. I hope, I uh, hope our um, listeners that are on the vendor side are taking notes of <laughs> what to do <laughs> and what not to do. But yeah, like you know, don't overpromise and, and be honest. There's some kind of basic things, as you said, the basics around relationships are so so important. And do you, uh, in and I can't remember if I I asked this already. And do you is the majority of your uh, kind of area of expertise is it in commercial product supply for the market or do you are you involved in clinical manufacturing as well most of my expertise is commercial product okay okay because i was gonna if it wasn't i was gonna actually ask about you know what differences you see between scale up or actually i mean presumably you get involved in projects that are scaling from a phase three to a commercial and 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 i've i've done a uh, a few projects at the clinical phase making uh supplies for say phase two or phase three yeah the big difference in those products is the scale phase two you don't even have your final dosage form locked down yet i mean you might be doing a capsule when you might you might end up in phase three reformulating into a in, into a tablet but I mean, like I said, the the big difference is the size of the batches. You're not making half a million a batch a back size of a half a million capsules or tablets, and the fact that it's not what you're doing today is may or may not be your final dosage form that you go to market with. What scale up challenges have you do you see? Are, are there any typical scale up challenges you see from? say phase three into commercial where for example you've got i don't you might have used a cavmo partner that's helped you get to phase two or phase three and you need to switch that and tech transfer it to another external manufacturing is that is that something you have to deal with uh very often or it does happen more often than you think especially with the larger cmos where they'll start you off at one site manufacturing your clinical supplies and then transfer you to another one of their sites that's more commercial product instead of clinical product every 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 formula every every dosage form has its unique problems 
in tech transfer. It's our job to try and solve those problems as, as, as fast as possible. Some of it, I don't want to blame the formulators out there, but I mean, some of the formulas are, are very complex and have multiple steps. And, and when you're doing a tech transfer, it might be your job to try and cut down on the number of steps and combine the number of steps if possible. And that's something that would happen a lot. Or something as simple as the product, once you're scaling up, doesn't perform the way it was in, in the clinical, in, in your phase one or phase two or, or phase phase three batches due to the the scale of the batch. There's, there's been many times, say, where I've I've had products where the dissolution was fine for the phase two and phase three, and, the, and then you do your validation and commercial scale batches, and you're going, you're, you're failing dissolution or you're failing, you're failing content uniformity, something like that. And that's due to the size of the batch. Imagine that's a very complicated process <laughs> to try. And- it's def- it's definitely complicated and can be frustrating sometimes too, because you, th- you think you're so close and then you've, you encounter a new problem. Yeah, no, no, that sounds, uh, I'm glad it's uh, you having to do that and not me. <laughs> so, and I wanted to ask about, you know, appreciate I've just <laughs> fired lots of questions around dealing with CDMOs and different relationships and that types of things. How has COVID impacted the way that you've done your job? And, you know, again, just the pre-call that we had beforehand, you, you mentioned that you'd, you'd managed to get out and see one of your partners recently. What how has it made your job much more difficult not being able to get to manufacturing sites and how have you guys as a team up here in the sourcing team managed to overcome some of that because i imagine that's been like for everyone a bit of a challenge yeah so covid has definitely impacted us tremendously uh we have not been able to go to sites for tech transfers to watch line trials to watch validations uh, and that's due to both internal and external restrictions. Uh, Bear, Bear looks out for the safety of their employees. They they have restrictions on travel, and a lot of the CMOs are not allowing visitors on site too due to COVID. So it's it's a it's been tremendously difficult, uh, and it's been. A challenge. It's uh, also it's not a, it's not only a challenge for my team and my my group. It's 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 a challenge for the whole industry. I mean, you're not you, uh, CMOs aren't allowing on-site audits. That I mean, it's it's they they just want to allow on-site audits now. A lot of a lot of the audits that performed by the pharma companies have been virtual. That they 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 take they take a pair of Google classes and and toward the facility and and then open up a, a a document sharing service on and exchange documents on, on what the auditors want to see. So it's been it's been very hard, uh, especially especially when you're transferring something and you're trying to troubleshoot a process and you can't see it in person. Mm-hmm. Can imagine, and do, have you found that technology? You mentioned the Google glasses, and you know we've seen say virtual tours and that type of thing have, have, have really grown over the last few. Have they been useful for you guys, and or do you think you'll still use them going forward? Or I'm guessing 
to your point, the example you just gave there, there are certain situations where nothing beats physically being on site. Exactly. I mean, we 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 might we might use them to say troubleshoot a commercial like if you if we have a commercial product and all of a sudden we start having trouble with with one or two badges we might we might use them instead of going out to the site and, and actually looking at the process but i think it especially with tech transfer and validation you're always it it's always going to be better if you're on site for 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 those key those key trials those key those those key uh I guess items and or or goals in, in your in your project. You are you want you want to be there when you do your first scale up batch. You want to be there when you're going you're going into a validation to not only make sure that everything's ready, but in case something comes up, you know, the the CMO is not trying to contact you on the phone. You you're damn person. So so it's uh I think it's always going to be helpful to to be on site. I agree. And then last few minutes, because I know we're going to run out of time and with you, which is uh, a shame because I'm sure I could ask you lots more questions. But let's talk just about, I suppose, the sector generally and any trends and changes that you're going on from a sourcing perspective. You know, for example, are you sourcing more than you were before? Are you consolidating more? Are you looking more geographically? Any insight you've got in terms of just interesting trends or uh, kind of changes that you're seeing from your perspective would be would be great for you to share with our listeners. So our CMO count is staying pretty, like pretty pretty constant over the past over the past couple of years, and uh, I do see, however. Uh, Especially the larger companies, to, the large, the big pharma companies, trying to consolidate some of their CMOs because it's a lot easier to manage, say, 25, 30 CMOs instead of 100, 120. Uh, so they, I do see big farmers consolidating some, uh, but that also means that the the CMOs that we're sticking with that. I mean, we have to, we really have to vet them out well and and do our due diligence and and be happy with them. But I think there's there's always going to be room for a new it's a new CMO to come in, especially if it's a product or uh, a technology that's novel. Really good point that, and something I'm sure many of our listeners. And what one of the one of the complaints, if you like, I've often heard from CDMOs is they'll often say, "Well, if big, a big farmer will knock will knocks on our door, then we'll entertain them, but we won't go after big farmer because they're a bit of a, a nightmare to deal with." Is that? Do you think that? And it, I don't mean nightmare in terms of you know personality specific, but more around the bureaucracy, the, exactly. the paperwork, the auditing. Is that a fair? Is that a fair kind of comment or accusation made at Big Pharma from from CDMO? Is that just they're just more difficult? And I'm conscious of the fact that you've also represented, uh, you've sourced from the biotech, smaller biotech side as well. So, um, it, it, I just, yeah, I'm just curious to get your take on that and it, whether that's a fair comment or whether it's just a perception. So I would definitely say there's there's definitely more bureaucracy 
more red tape in a big pharma company compared to the smaller biotechs, the companies that only have one or two molecules in their pipeline. So, I mean, that's just the nature of business. The bigger your company gets, the, the, more, the more systems you put in your place, the more hoops you have to jump through. So it's a fair assessment, but also it's with small pharma, with the, with the small biotechs, they can be hesitant to make a decision. I mean, they sometimes get, for lack of a better word, I guess you could call it stage fright maybe, that you present them data and they spend weeks and weeks and weeks trying to analyze the data, whereas a big pharma company, they have no hesitation in, make, in making a fast decision sometimes. Really interesting point. And the stage fright things are really, you know, it's almost because with a smaller company, they're kind of putting, they might just have one molecule, <laughs> one product in, kind of all their eggs in the basket. Exactly. So, this is the future of their company that you're yeah. dealing with. They don't want to get that decision wrong, and so they'll probably procrastinate. <laughs> yes, exactly. A little, a little bit longer. Uh, and we are out of time. And honestly, Dan, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Have you got any of the final comments or any other takes on the sector? And, you know, as I said, you know, the majority of our listeners are both from the external source inside like yourself but also many of our listeners are from the uh, kind of vendor side and the cdmo uh, packaging side as well but you know any other comments or requests or even just pieces of advice that we, you can leave them with would be would be fantastic i would i would just i i i would just say it's important for both sides for the vendor and and for the client to have level set expectations going into the relationship and going into the project. Uh, and for the vendor to be upfront with, with the client when, when possible, don't go, go, don't like, like the example I used before, don't, don't say you have a capability and technically on paper, you have that technic that capability. However, you don't, you have that expertise may have left your company or that that ability might have have uh, not you haven't you haven't provided that service in 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 years and uh, so I I would say the important thing is to level set and for both parties to have reasonable expectations. I think that's a terrific place to end the conversation dan what an absolute pleasure to have you on molecule to market thanks so much for for making the time in your your busy schedule thanks for man i appreciate it. this was uh this was fun thank you thanks dan hi again thanks so much for tuning in to molecule to market we hope you enjoyed today's episode you can find more shows on spotify apple podcast or wherever you like to listen get in touch with us on our website molecule to marketpod.com and follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter, and we will see you again next week. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector, the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.